Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me and hope you're all doing well out there in Bulls Nation. It's been a fun week in Bulls basketball, a couple wins and a narrow loss to the Golden State Warriors in a really, really competitive game. So if you're a fan of, I guess, the entertaining brand of basketball that the Bulls have been playing of late, you would have enjoyed this week with a win over the Miami Heat and again against the Atlanta Hawks. And as I mentioned, that close loss to the, the I guess, the best team in the league, the, Atlanta, uh, the Golden State Warriors. The Bulls were absolutely incredible in that game. And I guess Miritich, again, continues to play extremely well, was brilliant in that Golden State Warriors game and didn't get a ton of ton of minutes in this Hawks game, most recent game, but at the same time, he continues to show how good of a player and how important of a player he has been to the Bulls this season. So a fun week in Bulls basketball, but what I wanted to talk about more so than the games themselves this week is the impact of these wins and the continuing wins on, I guess, the tanking effort that the Bulls were hoping to be embarking on. And if you're looking at this season from... A tanking perspective and the long-term ramifications of the Bulls winning games that we thought they would have no chance of winning earlier in this season. I'm not sure if you could be looking at this season as a success if we're purely focusing on that aspect. Obviously, if we're talking about things like player development and I guess the team uh, beating expectations, then the Bulls have definitely been a, I guess, a revelation. They've been incredible from that front, but if we're looking at it purely on the efforts of tanking, then thus far this season, it's probably going pretty poorly considering where we were at the start of the seasons where the Bulls only had three games and you know 20 odd losses or so. So the tank is looking like it's in jeopardy. And I sort of wonder to myself at least, is the tank officially dead? And it's the question, I guess, that's among Bulls Nation at the moment. And it's it's going to be, I guess, the dominating theme for the remainder of the season, depending on what happens at the trade deadline. So I've seen this sort of, or this narrative start to form online. I, to, to be fair, it's been on there for, for, quite, a, for quite a while now, but it, it's picking up more steam as the Bulls continue to win and as we get closer to the trade deadline. We haven't heard a lot about the Miritich trade rumors since last week. There has been nothing really this week. It's It still appears like Miritich wants to be traded. I'm sure the Bulls are still looking for a trade partner out there to move him for hopefully a decent first round pick. But at the moment, there hasn't really been any movement at all on that front. So What's happening, I guess, is the Bulls are keeping this current rotation in there. They're playing super hard and against good teams, which the Miami Heat are at the moment. They're top four in, in the East. The Golden State Warriors, we obviously know how good they are. They put, they put forward two really good performances against quality teams. They got the one win and, and a very close loss. And obviously, we saw against the Atlanta Hawks that the Bulls, as currently constructed, are way better than a team like the than the Atlanta Hawks, who are firmly bottom three in the standings and are looking pretty good in terms of their own tank race or their own tank seating, I should say. So, the Bulls, I guess, are going to start need to need to really start asking themselves what their objective of for the remainder of this season is going to be. Is it going to be trying to keep winning, trying to develop through this winning and pushing towards the playoffs? Or are they going to try and shore this tank up? And they need to be asking themselves these questions and they need that answer pretty quickly because the next probably 8 to 10 games may determine where this season goes from here on out. And 
The reason why I say that is obviously the trade deadline is fast approaching. We're only about two weeks away from that. The, the trade deadline itself is February 8. And we're, we're roughly two weeks away from that point. So the Bulls need to start thinking about what they're going to be doing, not just with Miritich, but also with guys like Lopez, Justin Holiday, and, and even Jerry and Grant, who's been spoken about as being on the block as well. So they need to be thinking about that and they need to be thinking about it quickly because their next seven to eight games aren't necessarily the, the, the most hardest games coming up. We obviously saw the Hawks game today and the Bulls were definitely outclassing those Hawks. And even without Miritich performing at a high level, they're able to comfortably beat the Atlanta Hawks on the road. And if we look ahead at the schedule, they've got two road games this week against the New Orleans Pelicans and then the Philadelphia 76ers. And then they're back at home against the Lakers and Bucks to close out the week. So if you think about those four teams and the fact that the Bulls are playing pretty much at above 500 level since December 1, you would probably think the Bulls have a reasonable chance at winning at least two of those games, probably that game against the Lakers. And and given that they've been extremely competitive against the Bucks this season, I think you would even peg them against Milwaukee and Maybe they could even beat Philly if Joel Embiid doesn't play. They could still beat still beat them even if he does. So I think it's fair to say that the Bulls finish this week coming up with a two and two record. And if they do so, their season for the their record on the season would be twenty and thirty. Now, when you start thinking about that record and where we thought the Bulls may be at the start of this season, I think a lot of us would have thought they'd be at around, you know, eighteen to twenty five wins on the season. And given how it started, it was sort of trending that way when they were three and twenty-three. It looked like they were going to be, you know, one of the worst teams in the league by by far. They they were on on track there to get that number one pick, but since then they've been much much better, and they're playing above five hundred ball. And the teams that they've got coming up in the next four games, they're pretty much teams hovering around five hundred, or in the Lakers' case, well below five hundred. So. There's four winnable games that are coming up here. And if the Bulls do really well this week, that's going to really jeopardize the tank. So I wanted to talk about this in the first half of this show. I guess the the likelihood of the tank being dead. And when this discussion comes up, I think what we need to really address straight away is what do we mean by tanking? And, and what does the result of tanking need to be? If we're, if we're talking top three picks, then the Bulls tank is probably dead. I think it's safe to say, as we saw against the Atlanta Hawks, that the Bulls, even without Nikola Mirotic, probably won't be bad enough to, I guess, compete with the Hawks, the Sacramento Kings, and the Orlando Magic in terms of the tanking race. Those three teams look they look superior if we're talking about tanking. The Bulls do look like a better team. The Bulls' core, younger core players are much better than what the Kings, the Hawks, and what the Orlando Magic currently have, and the way those teams are playing, the Bulls are gelling and their chemistry at the moment is off the chart. So you can't really imagine the Bulls being as bad as those sorts of teams. So if we're talking about the tank and maybe the tank resulting in a top three pick, assuming there's no funny business going down in the lottery in terms of the lottery balls bouncing our way, then getting a top three pick is very unlikely. But to me, at least, I think if we're talking about tanking in general and a tank maybe resulting in a top four or five pick, then I still think that's on the agenda. And the reason I say that is, at the moment, the Bulls are only two and a half games back on the Dallas Mavericks for the fourth worst record in the league. 
So the, the Mavs are at a 15 and 30 record and the Bulls are at 18 and 28. Now, obviously, that can change with results. And if the Bulls come away from this week coming up uh, with the schedule that I mentioned before and against those four teams and do quite well, then obviously that's going to change things. But even with all these wins, there's still not a large gap between the Bulls and the Mavs, who have currently have the fourth worst record in the league. And there's even less of a gap between the Bulls and teams like the Los Angeles Lakers and the Brooklyn Nets, who are two teams that don't really have any incentive at all to tank. So LA Lakers at the moment, they have the sixth worst record in the league, and the Nets have the seventh worst record in the league. And both those teams do not own their first round pick this season. They're going to other teams. So they don't necessarily have any incentive to be improving on their tank to improve their odds of that draft pick. So when you look at those teams that are bunched up between sort of four to eight, so I mentioned the Mavericks, I've mentioned the Lakers and and the Nets, but you've also got the Suns and the Memphis Grizzlies in there as well. If you look at the Bulls and particularly a Bulls without Nikola Mirotic in in the uh, in the rotation, I think it's definitely possible that the Bulls can still sneak into that four to five range. So when we talk about the tank being dead, we almost need to separate the discussion by ranking the the draft picks into tiers and sort of putting the odds as to where the Bulls will be and, and their I guess their the likelihood of receiving a pick in that range depending on if they trade Miritich. So I'm, I'm if if we assume that they're trading Miritich, in my opinion, I think they can re-enter that tanking race for a pick in that four to seven range, which would definitely be valuable and would be a nice piece for the first year of the rebuild if they can get their hands on, say, the fifth pick and draft maybe a Muhammad Bamba or a Jaron Jackson Jr. or maybe even Michael Porter Jr. If someone like that is sitting there at five, if the Bulls happen to be taking that pick, then that's probably a pretty good result given the way the rebuild has gone and the way that they've been winning and developing these players in the in, in wins. If they can come away from this season by dealing Miritich, getting a, some sort of asset for Miritich that makes sense, maybe a late first round pick, whilst improving their own draft pick, then that would be a pretty successful year one of the rebuild, even if even if they didn't necessarily get a top three pick themselves. So that's what I'm hoping they're going to be doing over the next coming weeks, particularly before the, the trade deadline, because it's really important in these next eight or so games that they start to shore up that tank. And if we look beyond this week, They've got uh, games on the road against the Portland Trailblazers, the Los Angeles Clippers, and the Sacramento Kings before the trade deadline. So they're three teams, again, that, well, two of them at least, are 500 teams, or are roughly around a 500 record. And given that the Bulls are pretty much uh, 14, or oh, sorry, 15 and 11 since December 1, you would think that they have a good chance of beating a team like Portland Trailblazers or the Los Angeles Clippers, even though it's on the road. So if they were able to do that and and were to beat a Kings team as well, then of course that's going to limit their opportunity to improving their tanking position for that 4-7 to seven range. But if they're able to deal Miritich sort of in the next week or so, then there's still a really good shot at getting a pick in that 4-7 to seven range. So that's what I want to be seeing them doing, and that's what I want them to be shoring up in the next week or so. But beyond that, if you think about this Bulls team and maybe keeping Miritich or whether Miritich fits on this team, I also wanted to, I guess, discuss the point of, does it really make sense to keep Miritich around, even if, I guess, he is performing at this level? 
for the remainder of this season, maybe even in, into the next part of his uh, of his deal, which will, if the Bulls pick up his option, will obviously be only next season. So I wanted to discuss the idea of whether we keep Miritich, not just from a tanking point of view, but does it make sense to keep him just looking at the roster moving forward over the next, I guess, one to three seasons? And, and something I wanted to address, I guess, is, and in, in combination with this Atlanta Hawks game is, does it really make sense next to Lowry Markinen long term? And we saw today when Robin Lopez is playing well, Fred Hoiberg is going to have a tough time, I guess, playing Nikola Mirotic minutes he does deserve. So he only saw the 20 minutes today against the Hawks. Lowry played the 30 minutes and Robin Lopez had 25. So in that instance, and with Bobby Portis on the bench as well, who also needs roughly around 20 minutes a game, the Bulls do have a front court logjam, and they need to deal someone from that front court going forward. And obviously, Miritich makes the most sense because he has, I guess, the most value in a trade, and he's definitely older when you compare him to Larry Markin and Bobby Porter. So when you start to think about it that way, and in games where Larry Markin is playing well, as well as Robin Lopez, does it make sense to keep Miritich from, I guess, a rotation perspective? And obviously, that raises the question of, well, if, if Robin Lopez wasn't there, you could afford to play Miritich more with Markkinen. But I'm not sure if that's necessarily going to be something the Bulls can just do at forward and center just you know, going forward. I don't think you can just remove Robin Lopez and not replace him with another center at all. I think you would still need to bring in a center. I don't think you can ask Miritich or Markkinen to be a full-time center at this point. So maybe you could still use those two guys together in the rotation, but I think you would still need to go out there and get a center, whether it's in the draft or in free agency, someone like Clint Capella or maybe DeAndre Jordan or whoever it may, that name may be. I think you would still need to invest in a center because whilst those guys can play some spot minutes there and, and together the offense is so much, uh, it provides so much spacing with those two there, I don't think it's something that's viable for a full 82 game season. So I wanted to talk about that because Miritich as well is only on, I guess, at best, a one and a half year deal. The Bulls have a team option for next season, assuming they pick that up. They'll have him around for one more season and obviously the remaining half of this season. So they're not necessarily invested in Miritich long term. And I guess that sort of makes sense when you think about what they have in Larry Markkinen. And if we're to assume Larry Markkinen continues to develop at this rate, sooner rather than later, you're going to need to start playing a pretty consistent 33 or 34 minutes. So he's currently around that 29, 30 range. But as he continues to grow, gets a little bit stronger, gets better, shows more in the isolation game, you're going to have to play more minutes. And if you're doing so, it's going to have to come at the expense of someone. And I just wonder, given Miritich's trade value, given that he's playing his best basketball right now and that his trade value is probably never going to be any higher, I do wonder if there's a bit of an opportunity cost in having two very similar players playing the same position. They're both best at power forward, whether it's somewhat redundant by having maybe two of your best players playing the same position. In that regard, it's very similar to the Pau Gasol and Joakim Noah discussion that we had maybe two years ago when the Bulls brought in Pau Gasol and made Noah sort of shift down to power forward. That ultimately affected Joakim Noah's game and by the Bulls bringing on two centers and making them play in the front court together, one of them is going to suffer and in that instance, it was Joakim Noah. And I do wonder if that's going to be the case here if the Bulls think about maybe keeping Miritich 
and trying to, I guess, put forward this combination of Miritich and Markin going forward and, and using that at forward and center more more as a, a long-term solution. And, and I do wonder in that case if one of those players would suffer if they have to play extended minutes at center over an 82-game season rather than you know occasional minutes here and there. So bringing it back to the Atlanta Hawks game where Miritich only played the 20 minutes and, and I'm not necessarily being critical of Fred Hoiberg. I think with the way Lopez was dominating inside and Larry Markin continuously dunking all over the Atlanta Hawks front court, I think he made the, the right decision in how he distributed his minutes. I guess I'm just questioning whether it makes sense to have someone of Miritich's caliber I guess only playing 20 minutes a game. Now, obviously, that's not going to happen every game. There will be nights where he plays 30 minutes a game. But in reality, Nikola Mirotic is a player that deserves to be starting. He's good enough to be a starting power forward in this league. And for a lot of teams in this league, he would be a starting power forward. And had he not uh, got in that in that scuffle with Bobby Portis and had his face broken at the start of the season, he would have been the Bulls' starting power forward. So... He's someone that deserves minutes, and if he continues to play this well, he's going to be someone that deserves a pretty pricey contract, and if the Bulls keep him around, in the next one and a half seasons, they're going to have to pay him a contract that's much more than in the current $12.5 million that he's currently earning. They they gave him that contract after a pretty down year, I guess, in terms of the way it sort of finished and, and the way it played out there, so... Given that his you know his plays obviously exceeded what he produced last season, and he's still got a twelve and a half million dollar deal, what does his next deal look like? And you have to start thinking about that along with the the fact that you're going to be, I guess, potentially throwing a max contract at Zach Levine. Hopefully not. Hopefully it's a number closer to twenty million dollars. But if you're if you're upping Zach Levine to that amount of money, and you're going to have to pay Chris Dunn and Lowry marketing a contract in the future years, you're going to need to start to, I guess, think about where your total cap position is going to be. And if you come into this with Nikola Mirotic being a free agent in one and a half years' time and you have to pay him somewhere around the $20 million range and you're playing him as a backup, what is that going to do for your ultimate cap position? So you've got to think about trading Miritich now, not only for your own draft pick and shoring that up, but if you start thinking about the rotation and how Miritich fits with and long-term, I have questions about that combination as a 4-5 combination as a starting unit. But if your answer to that is, well, okay, let's keep Miritich on the bench, I still have issues with that because he's someone that deserves to be playing heavy minutes, deserves to be playing 30 minutes a game. And, and to be fair to him, his play has warranted that, and he's easily the best bench player in the NBA right now. And Miritich deserves to be a starter somewhere. And if it's not going to be Chicago, then they should move him because there is a bit of a redundancy with having him playing the best, or his his best position being the same one that Larry Markkinen plays. So it, to me, it makes sense from a tanking perspective to move on from Miritich now to maximize his value and get something back for him whilst improving your own draft pick, but at the same time thinking about sort of the next one and a half to two seasons time and where the Bulls cap will be, it probably doesn't make sense to be putting yourself in a position where you need to re-sign someone that's currently locked in as your backup power forward to a number excess in, in excess of $15 million. So I wanted to put that on the table because most of the most of the talk you do here with Miritich is in relation to trading him this season and, and improving the the tanking position, I guess. But at the same time, I think it's also relevant to start talking about Miritich and how he fits with this team long-term, not just as uh, his fit in terms of 
with the players therefore around him, but also from a cap perspective and what he will, I guess, garner in those free agency periods and, and how much he's going to cost. So I wanted to get that out there and I wanted to talk about that because obviously it's going to be a relevant top topic for the next two weeks or so before the trade deadline passes. So not only do the Bulls need to think about Miritic from a tanking point of view, but they also need to think about what they're going to do with him if they do keep him this season and moving forward. So wanted to get that out there, but moving along, I've actually got a guest on this podcast as well, so it won't just be me ranting about tanking for a full hour or so. I've actually got my old friend and, and emphasis on old, my uh, my friend uh, Fred Pfeiffer joining me, obviously host of the Bulls, Chicago Bulls Eye podcast, and now the host of the Big Red Bus, another Chicago Bulls podcast. So I wanted to get Fred on the line to give us an update on the Big Red Bus and how the team is performing now that Zach Levine is back. I'm tipping Fred is pretty excited about Zach Levine returning from that ACL injury. So Fred, thanks for joining me. It's always a pleasure. It's always an honor to be on with you, Mark. And uh, I feel like we're bringing worlds together. You know, we're probably at the opposite spectrum on the beloved bull. And every time we get together, I think we get a little bit closer, a little bit closer to harmony to that great day in Grant Park in 2020 when we're finally together as a big group celebrating the Bulls' seventh title. What say you? Well, it's, it's a romantic uh, uh, picture you're posing there, I guess. Uh, I'd like to say it might happen, but um, we, we shall see. But I, I wanted to get you on because for two reasons. One, um, you, you help balance out this podcast in a sense. You mentioned the, the, the I guess, the dichotomy between my position and yours. <laughs> um, but I also wanted to get you on because um, not only are you the, the, the driver of the big red bus, uh, as you've coined it, but you've also started up a point, up a podcast, a new Bulls podcast called The Big Red Bus. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, with the great Doug Tonis, who's uh, a very close friend of mine who kind of left the scene for a while. And uh, I think his voice is, is sorely missed. I think you'd agree with that. I think we all respect Doug uh, tremendously. And he is, he's I call him the godfather of uh, Bulls podcast. I mean, he was the only one that was really around when, when Mark and I started in 2007. Mark Lewenthal and I started the uh, Chicago Bullseye. There was one other one by a gentleman by the name of Brian Cush. I don't know if you remember Cush. He's also kind of a legendary figure, uh, and he ran uh, Running with the Bulls. Did you ever listen to that show? Uh, I think that was before my time, to be honest with you. Okay, yeah. Well, those two shows were uh, tremendously entertaining, very good. And and But Doug, especially, with just his knowledge of the cap, he's just an re- extremely intelligent fellow so it's it's kind of an honor to start this up with him it was really you know doug's idea that maybe we try to get together every every week and, and talk bulls and i thought the first uh iteration of it was a lot of fun bringing that big red bus out on the road it was you know we hit a couple potholes <laughs> and uh but but we were able to uh get the tires back on and uh it was a great run yeah thanks for, yeah thanks for letting me promote it no that's that's one of the reasons why i wanted to have you on and where, where can people uh get a hold of that so you can go to Chicago Bullseye or go on iTunes. It's, it's basically on the Chicago Bullseye feed. So if you go to iTunes and, and do a search for Chicago Bullseye, I'm not sure if Doug's been able to set it up yet where if you do a, a big red bus search, you'll find it. But you'll find our show at the ChicagoBullseye.com. Um, also, you're up there too, which is an honor to have you, which, uh, you know, Bulls HQ is one of my favorites. I listen to it every week. Um, sometimes get nauseous. Sometimes I, I enjoy it. And, uh, it's always I always like to hear a different point of view, right? And uh, you know, you, you definitely back it up. So you're someone I respect. There's a lot of people that share your view who just throw their hands in the air out of frustration and just you know 
just in a general anger with no really numbers to back it up. Yeah. If there's a case against Gar packs in the org, you're going to make it the best you can. Well, I try to, Fred, but um, look, uh, I wanted I wanted people to uh, to hear about Big Red Bus because it was a good first episode. But I want wanted to have you on also to, I guess, update me on this Big Red Bus because it's been maybe a month since I had you on last, and I want to get you on more frequently. Like I said, because you help balance the podcast to a degree, and I wanted a, a bit of an update on the Big Red Bus uh, or the Big Red Leviathan, whatever you want to call it. Now that Zach Levine is back, and we, last time we spoke, he wasn't back, and um, I'm tipping, based on the few games that we have seen from him, you're pretty excited from what you're seeing. I don't see how you can't be excited. Like, I noticed when I when I pull the big red bus out, it's a lot more crowded than it used to be. There's a lot of uh, a lot more people on the bus. I, how much it, are you charging people... for admission to the big red bus? For, <laughs> just by uh... I don't know. Probably not enough. Whatever <laughs> it is, I mean, I, I definitely need to need to reevaluate that because you know all the all the frustration and all the anger that I heard over the summer has really started to dissipate, mm-hmm. and that's a good thing because all that anger and frustration was really misplaced. And as I've said a hundred times, all the anger in the fan base is due to two things: Derek Rose. Uh, signing a long-term contract and him not approaching anywhere near where he was when he signed that contract and Noah in the middle of his long-term contract, both of those players just became, you know, transferred, uh, transformed from uh, an NBA MVP and a defensive MVP into two players that are almost out of the league now. And I think, you know, regardless, no NBA team has ever had to deal with that. It's something that uh, I don't think any other team going forward may have to deal with. At such a short notice, the Bulls did have the core. If you look at it, Butler, Noah, and Rose, that would have won multiple titles, but it didn't happen. So now here we are. Uh, we we tried to rebuild, and this rebuild in reality has been going on ever since we traded Rose. Right? We got Lopez in return for that. We let Noah walk, it, and people I think kind of look at this as like you know we were going for a title last year. I don't view it that way. I viewed it the minute we traded Rose. That's when this kind of transformation came. And, you know, the Bulls chose to try to remain competitive during that during that period, as they always have. And I'm grateful for that. I don't believe in the Sam Hankey, St. Hankey, you know, six, five, six, seven year plan of sucking and just hoping you hit a home run, a few high picks. I think that's just a fool's gold. So uh, and then I think all we look if, if anybody thinks logically and sees this team, Levine, Dunn, Markinen, how can you be upset? How can you be angry? How can you not see? the promise, the future in these guys. I mean, since Nico came back 14 and seven on pace for 54 to 55 wins. And these guys are 20, 22 and 23 years old. Markin in 20, Levine, 22, Dunn, 23. Is there any team in the history of the NBA with players that young that did not get considerably better over the next three to five years? I can't think of one. Um, so I, I think the future is bright. You know, and there's that big question out there is, is this enough to win a title or is it not? I know I'm in the minority there that, that believes that this is enough and with some solid pieces adding around it, uh, around, around this core that we could win a title. I don't think most people believe that. I think most people still feel that we need to add an impact player in this, in this upcoming draft. What say you? Well, I mean, that's why I got you on, Fred, to, to have that counterpoint because I'm still definitely in Team Tank. And, and my next question to you was going to be, I guess, where is that big, rest, big red bus making a stop at next? Is it going towards the draft 
towards the top of the draft or is it headed towards the playoffs? Where are you driving this thing? Well, I think the the, the bus could be dr- driven right over the cliff and right into the you know massive explosion with the trade of Nico, the trade of Nawaba, uh, Lopez, and um, Holiday. Those four players. If you if you I've heard a couple of people say, you know, I still think we can be good enough if even if we remove those four. I don't see how that's possible. I I, I think we're going to lose a lot of games if we remove those those four guys. Especially Lopez to me is such an underrated key piece of winning. Yeah, does so many things on a defensive end that are underappreciated and and not really noticed. Mm-hmm. So I think if we want to tank, that can happen. Uh, I, there's no doubt. I think the world owes you an apology and, and a big pat on the back for your, your Nico love throughout the years, because by any measure, he's been a resounding success since coming back. Uh, I think a lot of us in the back of my minds question whether or not he can continue to keep it up. But with every game of 20 plus and, and, and just incredible performance, um, maybe you're right, Mark. Maybe you're right. Maybe Nico Miritich has figured it out at the age of 26, and maybe this guy is one of the better, you know, power forwards in the NBA. I I was blown away with how good he played against Golden State. I don't think enough was talked about. I think lost in you know done losing his teeth and the general overall great effort by the beloved Nico was fantastic in that game, and he doesn't get enough love for how well he's shooting the threes. 45. percent I still can't believe it. Uh, will that continue? I doubt it, but. Uh, you know, I've been wrong before, uh, you know, and, and maybe two or three four times before, and uh, maybe I'll be wrong again. So on the record then, while I've got you, are you prepared to admit that you were wrong about Nikola Mirotic? Is that what you're sort of hinting at, but not necessarily saying? I don't think, I, I, don't think, I don't see how you can make that statement based on what I said. I, st- I said, I still think in the future, I, I don't see him performing at this high of a level going forward. I will be prepared to say I was wrong if, if I see this, uh, this level of performance throughout an entire year, no doubt about it. I mean, okay. we've seen flashes from Nico. You know, I've said that too. I said the, the kid is extremely talented, no doubt there. But what's truly impressed me is at the sustained level of hitting three. I mean, there's something about the three point shot. It's just as an aside. I coach a girls basketball team, yeah. And in our opening game, we played a team that walked in the gym, and the smallest girl on the team was about 6'1". I'm six feet tall. I could not believe the size of this team. They had seven girls on the team. Yeah. And normally, for the past 30 years, of, of uh, when you look at that team and, and watching basketball, you'd expect a team like that to throw the ball down low and just dominate underneath. This team hit six threes. Uh, it was amazing how far they hit, uh, how, how long they could shoot from. And I think that just kind of is a symbol of how the game's transformed and how important that shot is. And the power of the three is really, it's something I don't think we talk about enough. Uh, we were down, I think, 8-3. They had two back-to-back possessions with made threes, and you go from 8-3 to 14-3 in like a matter of 40 seconds. It, the power of that shot, the extra point that you get, and the, and the swings that can occur through that shot, it's just so overwhelming. And that's uh, something that I think any team in the NBA is going to need to be able to hit in order to win. Um, it's just how the game is transformed. So if Nico keeps on shooting the three at a 45% rate, he's going to be one of the most valuable players in this NBA, uh, you know, most desired players, I'd say, for the next 10 years. That's the big question, though. Can he do it? True, true. And, and two things that I, I wanted to, to note from that, what you just said there. One, you did mention if he sustains this for the end of the year that you will be prepared to say that I was right and you were wrong. So I'm going to hold you to I, that. I, I will. <laughs> well, if, if, he's over, if he's over 41%, yeah. man, 
I'm really digging my own grave here because it's going to be hard for them to get below that probably without me. <laughs> no, I can't dig in place. If he's if he's below forty two percent, let's go forty two. If yeah. he's below forty two percent, I will give you a public apology 41. and I will acknowledge your greatness and in, in, in intelligence. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So forty one percent it is. And <laughs> the other thing I wanted to to pick you up on was you mentioned you you're coaching your your daughters. Was it your daughter's uh, basketball team there? Uh, and, and how... Seventh grade. We just came back from our second straight victory. That's why I was late. I apologize about no, what a okay. bloodbath it was. No, yeah. well, well, congratulations on the win. But I wanted to question you about your three point defense. If you're allowing back to back possessions of this other team to score three th- or two threes from deep, <laughs> what are you doing, Fred? What, what well, is your this, what I... is your coverage for those three point shots? <laughs> I have a strategy. When I saw how big these girls were, is I call what's called a two one two shell, which I, I I want the players to just guard the paint. Don't let anybody in the paint. And what I've seen from seventh and eighth grade girls is, in general, nine out of ten teams that you play mm. will be unable to shoot the three, or uh, but even better yet, they'll be seduced by the power of the three and just start launching up threes. Most girls can't hit threes at this age, and so that's what I'm always trying to encourage: is the opposition to fire it up. Come on, you get an extra point for it, right? And I've never seen a team actually hurt us. Like this team did, so thus the thirty-eight to five loss. And in, in, uh, since and we were a little undermanned, that's why I also stress: they, you know, pack it in. I, I don't need you expending energy guarding, you know, forty feet out. Yeah. Uh, but games two and three, we we turn things around. That's the other big thing about marketing too. Just as an aside, that I wanted to bring up: you got a guy that got guard that guy out forty feet, you know, and Nico really right now. I mean, that's forty such feet, a, even. forty feet. You you have to put that puts so much pressure on a defense and extending them and, and expanding energy. It's, it's beautiful to see, you know, it, it sometimes brings tears to my eyes. I don't know if you feel this way, how good this team could potentially be. I, I guess, how good do you think this team could potentially be if we kept it together? I know you're a big Nico proponent. Mm. Let's just close our eyes and pretend that fight with Porter's never happened and everything was, you know, kumbaya. Yeah. Do you think this team next year could have won 50 to 60 games? No chance. <laughs> no, no chance. Oh, wow. Absolutely no chance, Fred. So I think if, if Miritich doesn't get punched in the face by Miritich, then uh, sorry by Portis, then Markkinen's probably not starting. Is Markkinen, you know, even the second or, or the backup power forward? Probably not. He's probably sharing minutes with Portis. Like maybe Portis is shifted to center, and and Markkinen in that scenario is playing backup power forward. But he's definitely not starting the season, averaging anywhere near. 30 minutes a game and doing what he's doing. He, he wouldn't be anywhere near uh, 100 threes on the season because he wouldn't be playing as many minutes as he has Very been. Tall. So I, I don't think that would be the, would be yeah. the case. So no, I, I don't think so, Fred. But And look, it may have been good. It may have been a good thing from a trade perspective for Miritich. He would, would have um, had more time to hopefully play at this level and hopefully sell some teams on or convincing teams that this what he's doing is real, I guess. Maybe that's why there isn't a ton of uh, a ton of interest for him at the moment because maybe teams still aren't convinced that what they're seeing is real. But yeah, I don't. I think uh, fifty or sixty games might be a bit of a stretch for me to sign up for there, Fred. <laughs> Just personally, well, I, I, don't meant, know. I don't know about you. Well, I, well, I meant, I meant, uh, in fairness to myself and my argument, I meant right. next season. So let's, next let's, season. Let's right, say we yeah. ran with this, uh, you know. 
Levine in a full year healthy right. and bringing Nico back, still playing at a high level. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think it's out of the question that team could win 50 games in this weekend East well, I think in NBA in general. It's certainly out of the question that they could win 60 games, <laughs> which you okay, did. Okay, maybe right. <laughs> which you did throw out there. 50 games. I know, I understand that they're on a 52 to 54 win pace, depending on, you know, when you cut the data as to, you know, December 1, December 8, or whatever, whatever date range you take. But at the same time, that's only over 25 games or so. So mm-hmm. extrapolating that over the season, whilst it's a, it's, it's a nice little talking point, I guess, I don't think that's likely either. But I do, I do think they would be a playoff team next season, assuming you could roll with this team and the continuity remained and there was no issues in the locker room or anything of that nature. So I think they could definitely push towards a playoff, a playoff berth next season, assuming they keep this team largely intact at a draft pick, maybe add one or two role players from free agency. And then, and then I think the, the Bulls would be back into the, into, into the playoffs, probably as a low seed, somewhere in the six to eight range, winning maybe 45 games or something. Conservatively, mm-hmm. that's what I would say. So I wouldn't say 50, but um, a lot would be dependent, obviously, on development. And I wanted to talk about Chris Dunn because, unfortunately, he's going to be missing quite a few games, at least, uh, based on the reporting at this point, given that they've said he's out indefinitely, which doesn't sound great. And I guess that could be one or two games. It could be, you know, maybe two weeks. Who knows? These are the things with concussions. There is no real timeline, I guess. It's almost dependent on the individual and, and the injury they've sustained. But... Um, I'm disappointed to see Dunn go out. Obviously, he got injured, so that always, you know, you never want to see that sort of thing. But I wanted to see now that Levine is back, that Dunn, Levine, and Markin in combination. And we got a glimpse of that against the Warriors. We saw a bit of that against the Heat. So it's been a really good week of Bulls basketball. And for someone like you who's driving that big red bus, uh, how are you feeling about Dunn missing games and someone like Jerry and Grant stepping in and maybe maybe derailing that season or derailing that late season playoff push? Well, I feel awful about the fact that Dunn's missing time because he has been so good. Uh, you know, one thing about Dunn, there's two types of defenders in, in generally any level of basketball. There's disrupted defenders and fundamental defenders. I mean, I, 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 you know, there's a, a fundamental defender is a guy like, let's say, a Lou Aldang. He's a, he's a great fundamental player. He puts himself in the right position all the time. But he's, I, I never felt Luol Dang was the kind of guy that was really going to cause havoc to your offense. Those kind of guys always really bothered, uh, I think, caused more coaches to lose seat, sleep. And those are guys like, you know, I thought Ronnie Brewer was a guy like that. It was always very aggressive in jumping passing lanes, causing a lot of problems. Um, obviously, he never had a sustained level of excellence over a number of years. But it done to me, he's second in the league in steals. He is so disruptive of, you know, sometimes just the, just the mere fact that when you're trying to set up your offense, I, I love how aggressive he is and kind of extending out the offense, out what was planned. Those kind of guys are, I think, are kind of rare. Uh, most guys like to kind of conserve their energy and, and not really go all out like that. And, and you have to have a physical build for that type of, to be a really true disruptive defender like Scottie Pippen was. You got to have long arms. You got to be athletic. Um, if you don't have those two things, you can't really be a disruptive defender. And Donna, I think, has the ability to be a top three guard in the NBA as far as defense, defensive uh, abilities go. And he's already second in the league in steals and in one of the lower MPGs. So you see a guy playing that well. Um, this is definitely a setback. Uh, and I, I think the delta between Chris Dunn and, and Grant 
is is like a Grand Canyon. I think Grant as a starter, uh, frankly, sucks. I think he's one of the worst starters in the NBA. Um, at best, he's a backup point guard, and uh, he's nowhere near as, on the defensive end. He's not even in the same class on either end, in my opinion. So I don't know if you feel this way about Dunn. I, the, one of the things I've most been impressed with, I, I've heard he was a great defensive player. You know, so I, I wasn't that surprised. I, I was a little bit surprised he was this good. Um, I, like I said, I think I consider him to be a lead already, but he's a lot better facilitator and passer than I expected. I didn't expect it. I, I think he does that really well. I think he sets up guys really well. And, uh, and you see him getting better and improving throughout the season. Am I nuts or do you see this too? No, he's, he's definitely been a, a good passing point guard this season. So it's something I probably underrated about his game. I thought he could do a little bit of it. I didn't wasn't convinced that he could be the primary initiator of an offense uh, for a team. I thought maybe maybe as a, I guess, a secondary sort of playmaker at a pick and roll, then he could be valuable sort of, you know, I guess creating when, you know, action, the first action doesn't necessarily prove fruitful. You swing the ball and you get it to done and then maybe deeper in the clock, he can create a play for you as that second guy. But he's proven thus far that he's more than capable of creating a decent offense. Well, I won't say decent offense because the Bulls haven't been a decent offense, but he can create offense for you. And to back that up, not necessarily a game against the Warriors because he only had the four assists, but prior to that, he pretty much had, I think, eight games or seven games of eight or more assists. So he definitely can, I guess, you know, really facilitate this offense. And not that assists are the only way to, I guess, categorize if someone's a good passer or a playmaker, but generally you go to the assist column, you see how much they have, and if a guy's routinely racking up eight or more, like Dunn has been of late, then that's then that, mm-hmm. that's positive for him moving forward. And I think that needs to be his role, particularly as Levine starts to settle in as a more offensive piece, maybe the team's number one option. Quick question for you that I've asked a couple of people. I'd like to get your opinion on it. As you see these three, let's assume we don't add anybody that's a real true difference maker in the draft. Mm-hmm. So going forward with this team for the next you know three to four years, yep. it's going to be Dunn, Markin, and, and Levine. Uh, when we get to crunch time, out of those three, do you kind of see someone taking the lead, or who do you think is best equipped to kind of handle that role as the go-to guy down the stretch in close games? At the, well, I mean, at the moment, you have to say Levine, just purely because, I mean, he has the combination of scoring efficiency whilst being a guy that can dominate the ball. I think I would I would prefer to say Lowry Markin, and I would, I would hope to say Lowry Markin, just because, you know, he he's that high draft pick. He his offensive ability at the moment really does break down a defense, and I just wonder what his game would be if he could become even more of an isolation threat. He's not necessarily that at the moment. He's getting a lot of his points on, on uh, I guess, not necessarily just catch and shoot, but he, his offense isn't necessarily, you know, giving him the ball in the post and letting him go to work. That's not his game at the moment. And, and I don't feel confident mm-hmm. when you get Markin in the ball one-on-one that he's going to create something necessarily, even though he has shown the ability to, I guess, put the ball on the floor and go in there and slam it down on occasions. I think he's still more of a jump shooter at this point. So if you have to ask me that question now, I'd probably say Levine, but I would want it to be Lowry. Um, but I think Levine has that combination of being on the wing, being a guy that can handle the ball and has shown that he can score in a, in a range of ways and has been efficient in doing so. So at the moment, I would say Levine, but um, uh, I would hope it's marketing. That's how I feel about it, at least. 
Yeah, it's it's a big question that needs to be answered, though, because I, I think Dunn has shown an assertiveness in those times throughout this season. Yeah, and he yes. I, I, he has no fear about it, and and I don't feel that Markkinen does either. But Markkinen's opportunities and clutch shots this season have kind of come through the offense, kind of like the pick and roll type of plays, where mm-hmm. his Dunn yep. is to me has been far more assertive in the last quarter, and that's the only thing that I can think of potentially be an issue down the road for these guys is, you know, who is going to be the man? You really kind of need to have, think about all the great, even the heat teams, right? You, there was kind of a clear delineation. All right, this guy's the A, this guy's the B, this guy's the C. I don't think that's really happened here. And in my opinion is for the, for the success, overall success of these three winning a title, that eventually has to be marketed. I think he's got the highest ceiling. I think and he's 20 years old. He's got to be the guy on a pick and roll. If it's if it's a small guy, he takes him in the post, and the team does whatever it takes to get him the ball there. If it's a if it's a a big guy that comes on him, he, he takes him off the off the dribble and and just destroys him. And I you know I just hope that happens. But uh, you know, it's a tricky thing a team dynamic. If, if you know there's an egos getting away, we'll see what happens down the road. But. That's something to keep an eye on over the next few years. Yeah, and one of Lowry or Levine or, or maybe even Don, one of those guys really needs to develop as someone that can get to the line like Jimmy Butler used to be, used to do because that's what you need in the crunch time as well. You can't just rely Great on call. system offense. And look, I'm, I'm looking at the free throw totals right now for this team and, and, and the leader for free throws on the ball at the moment is Justin Holiday, And then after him is Jerry and Grant and David Nwaba. So... They're three role players. Oh my God. <laughs> like they're not necessarily guys you would think as as high foul drawers or guys that are going to beat guys off the dribble, but they are shooting more free throws, or they have shot more free throws this season than Larry Markin and Chris Dunn. Obviously, Zach Levine is towards the bottom because he's just returned, but traditionally, he hasn't been someone that gets to the line a lot. So if we want to talk about number one options on this Bulls team for, for any of these guys to be justifiably a number one option. One of them needs to really develop their their ability to draw contact and get to the line probably six to seven times a game at least for them to really be a a credible number one option. So we're obviously far away from that, and and that's why I'm that's why I'm team tank, Fred. I I think they need that other scorer because at the moment you're sort of slotting in Chris Dunn as a third option if Miritich isn't on the floor, assuming Levine and mm. and Markin are. So I think that's too much of an offensive responsibility for Dunn at the moment, given that he isn't the most efficient guy going around. But mm-hmm. that's why I think this team needs that other top-level scorer heading into this draft, or I'm assuming they can't find that in free agency, um, of course. So that's why I'm, I'm heading towards the draft. But getting back to to the big red bus, Fred, where are you, where are you dropping Miritich off? Where's his next stop? Well, you keep on here in Utah, and and I could see a fit there. You know, I I think the, the the thing about Nico is there's a ton of places where he could go. I still point to the Lakers. I don't understand why the Lakers wouldn't have an interest in Nico Miritich. They're terrible at shooting the three. They have no reason to tank. There's no incentive for the team to tank, and his contract is perfect for them if you can convince them to to take it, uh, to uh, to agree to the trade. So. You know, the way his contract is, they can make that trade. And then you have a, a potentially an expiring piece, you know, not huge money, but you need that money. 
off there if you're going to attract anyone out to Los Angeles, especially the likes of LeBron James. Or you can just keep – it's not like he's overpaid. He's making $12, year, 12 million in next year. You can pick up the team option. And and you got Nico Miritich in L.A. at 27 years old, 26, 27 years old, uh, extending a defense, open up lanes for some of those you know young, nice pieces with the Lakers. I, I don't understand why the Lakers wouldn't look into him, but there's always going to be a major market for a guy – who's a four that can hit the three at a 45% rate. That's the question. And I think that's why he hasn't been traded yet is there's still a lot of doubters like me. Yeah, well, he's shown it, you know, since he's come back in you know, 21 or so games, but we've seen glimpses of this before. And we've seen the pits before, which was last year, you know, is he able to do it? And I think there's also a question too, you know, he, if he goes to a good team, he's not going to be the A guy. He's not going to be the B guy. And he's kind of failed in that role before. Um, he's really he's ideally suited to me, Nico, as, as a C, and he hasn't really performed great in that role without, with the notable exception of his rookie year in March. That 30-day period, he played really well. But, you know, I, I, I hope he goes to Utah. If we can somehow I, – I, I just don't see any way that they would give us that pick. Um, but I'm not a believer in trading Nico for a second rounder. And I just think that's stupid. Second round picks, I've, I've seen – I just recently saw a study – from 19, I think it was the 1988 or 89 to 2008. And the, the it was like minuscule that you can expect to find anyone really, even a rotation player in the second round. I got in this argument on Waddle and Sylvie. You know, they started throwing out every great second round pick over the last five years. Go through it. Look at the 2016 second round picks. Yeah, you, I mean, half these, I, I think it was 90% of the, the guys aren't even in the NBA. It's its really hard to find value with second-round picks. I consider them to be basically worthless. Do you feel the same? No. <laughs> I, 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 do, I do not. I think there is definitely value in second-round picks. And if I look at the 2017 draft, you know, I, obviously I can start with Jordan Bell, but I won't bang on about oh. that. But like, you, you know, mean Bill Russell? Bill Russell, I, let, 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 let's act like yeah, let's st- let's take a step back on Jordan Bell. Yeah, let, let's Jordan just ignore Bell. Jordan Bell for the moment because I mean, just, I I'll just put him aside. Him. I want to let's tackle Jordan. Okay, well, all right, go on, go on. Right, well, well, look, just, I, I just go no, on. let me go on because you're going to divert this thing. We've got a, we've got a game to watch soon, so I don't want to let you bang on for ten minutes about why why Jordan <laughs> Bell isn't prime Bill 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 Russell. So, but like I'm talking about guys like Jawan Evans, uh, Semi Ojale. Dwayne Bacon, uh, who else is here? Oh. Frank Mason, Frank Jackson. These are some names. Jonah Bolden that the Sixers have picked is currently overseas, but he's an Australian. He can definitely play. <laughs> Dylan Brooks, Sterling Brown. There's at least there's at least six to seven guys in the second round in the 2017 draft that are, are interesting players that you would want to take a hit on. So I definitely don't agree with you that second round picks uh, have no value, but I do agree with you that the Bulls shouldn't be trading someone like Miritis just for a second round pick, just for the sake of it. I do agree with you on that. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, good. So, I mean, if it's a late first rounder, I would take that. Yeah. You know, I think you can occasionally find value there, but it's kind of a frustrating situation to me because even if it is a late first rounder, are we realistically going to find anyone playing at the same level as Nico Miritich or better than Nico Miritich? Probably not. You know what I mean? No, Um, probably not, but you might get someone that's a capable role player and, by removing Miritich, then you're hopefully improving your own pick. So does that improvement of jumping maybe five places in the draft whilst also getting another first-round pick later in the draft, does those two players combined 
being on cost-controlled assets, does that bring you more value over the next three to four years than Miritich does? Because at, at the same time, I know we're, we're focusing on Miritich right now, but at some point, if he keeps playing like this, you're going to need to re-sign him. And, he, and if he keeps playing like this, he's going to be expensive in a few seasons' time. So, yeah, look, I, yeah. I'm still on team trade Miritich, and I'm definitely on team tank. And, um, yeah, interesting to hear where you are. But, look, we'll reconvene in maybe a month's time to see how... How, how the big red bus is traveling. Hopefully there's been no nails like sort of spiked itself in the tire or anything like that. And um, hopefully it's driving along smoothly, Fred. I'm not too sure with you driving the bus. And um, hopefully you're not uh, drinking too many beers whilst driving. Well, let me just tell you, you're always invited on the big red bus. I'd love to see you on top of the bus, like Teen Wolf. You ever see Teen Wolf, the scene in Teen Wolf where he's on top of the bus? We'd love to have you on to do a little surfing. I promise I'll try to keep as straight as possible uh, so to not throw you off. But if you if you did accidentally fall off, I promise I'd stop to see so make sure that you're okay. Thank you. And uh, you're definitely showing your age by with the Teen Wolf reference. So um, <laughs> I'm not sure the kids would understand that, but yeah, okay. I, I, I definitely get what you're saying. If you haven't seen Teen Wolf, drop everything you're doing and go to a local blockbuster video and pull out a get, get one of those VHS tapes and watch Teen Wolf. You gotta, you gotta go see it. Also showing your age with that blockbuster. <laughs> yeah, <reference. exactly. laughs> All right, well, th- Fred, thanks for jumping on, and we'll uh, we'll talk again soon, my friend. Take it easy, brother. Always good talking to you. I love Australia, and I hope to be down there soon. And if we do, we gotta go out for a, a Vegemite sandwich and uh, what, what's the big beer down there? Now, Foster's? Well, not really. It doesn't really exist anymore. But yeah, we can go for a beer. And, and if you want, you can stay at my house. I won't charge you too much. But um... <laughs> Showing my age again. Do you got six cats? Because if you got six cats, I'm not going <laughs> no, to... No, no cats. No cats. All right, brother. All right, take, take it, it easy, Mark. See ya. Have a good one. Go Bulls. So that was Fred Fire for everybody. Thanks again for Fred for joining me on this week's episode of the podcast. Apologies about my audio there. Not too sure what happened to my mic, but there was a bit of, uh, I guess, background crackle, which I couldn't really edit out, unfortunately. So if you made it through the podcast this far, thank you for persevering. Not too sure what happened, but hopefully it won't be a problem going forward, but um, I'll try to monitor that. But again, thanks for persevering for that. But in the interim, be sure to follow Fred on Twitter, at CBEFred on Twitter, and you can obviously catch his podcast at ChicagoBullseye.com, as well as in your iTunes feed. You can get the Big Red Bus, as well as the Chicago Bullseye. And and whilst you're at iTunes, you can also uh, subscribe to the Bulls HQ podcast if you haven't done so already. So be sure to subscribe and, of course, leave a review if you do have a chance. That's very greatly appreciated. But um, I closed last week's show pretty much saying, look, look, we'll see what happens with Miritich and we'll see... I guess what happens with him in terms of if he's going to be traded and and the impact that will have on the tank. And I guess I'm going to be repeating myself this week. So hopefully we see a trade go down this week if you are like me and you want to see the Bulls shore up that tank. And we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm assuming they'll probably be holding out closer to the trade deadline, but you never know, I guess. But uh, hopefully there's some action this week in, on on the trade front there. And, and if the Bulls are tanking, they really need to start getting a, a move along with who they deal and, and when they start to deal these players. And, and as I mentioned, the schedule is somewhat favorable over the next two weeks. So now would be the right time to start to shore up the tank. So we will see what happens if Miritich is, for whatever reason, reason traded 
before the next podcast is meant to be scheduled. So I usually release these things on a Monday morning. I might do a uh, an emergency style type podcast just to get my thoughts out about the trade. But if he's not, then I will see you all Monday morning. And uh, thank you for joining me this week. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.